So anything new in the world of comic collecting for you? Not for me. I've really uh, stopped buying, to be blunt with you. Other than the new Superman books, uh, I really don't buy much. I was trying to pull you into buying the old Superman books, and I failed. You know what it is? I I have yours. I've been looking for number 159, and I can't get it for a good price in decent condition. Mm-hmm. Well, that is I, – I, I do think – you know, when you start talking Superman books pre-1970, mm-hmm. I think it's very, very hit and miss with the shopping for them. Definitely. I mean, I have it as a saved search, you know, and every day I get the email with, you know, what's on eBay. But I'm not going to drop 40 and $50 for uh for No, the that. one I gave you, I think I paid like five bucks for. You bought that in person, right, at the show? I don't remember that specific one. I might have bought it in a bundle on eBay, you know, where, where uh, you know, where I go to a particular seller, I find a book I want, I make sure that they'll combine shipping, and then I'll see if they have other books I want so that it's worthwhile, you know, because when you just take one book and you, you, it's the price of the book plus the shipping, you know, a lot of times that's more than you want to pay for it, mm-hmm. but, you know, even if the price is fair. But then if you can, you know, allocate that shipping cost over, uh, you know, five, six, seven books, you know, then it starts becoming OK. Yeah. Uh, so a lot. So I, I did buy I have bought a significant number of books that way where I'll look at one buyer. I'll find, say, seven books that I want that are all reasonably priced. You pay, you know, the one shipping cost and it's not so bad. I may have gotten that book that way. Well. Good shopping on your part. Yeah, that's, you know, I've been weak of late. I've spent more money on books than I wanted to. You know, I'll be honest with you, too. It's not so much even the spending on the books. It's uh, I have to come up with a better storage system. Yeah, you've you've seen my uh, my comic Mm -hmm. closet at my house, right? I envy your comic closet. A lot of people have comic con be comic closet envy. I have to really build a new uh, shelving system under the train table and go go to the uh, smaller boxes. I, I have the the short boxes now, but I have gotten some of the longer short boxes. There's two. There's actually it seems like there's two lengths. And one is an inch and a half longer than the other, or so I think, give or take yeah. a slight bit. And as I've filled up some of the boxes, I've gotten some of the bigger ones, just so that I, you know, so that I can fit them in the number of boxes I have without shifting over to long boxes. So I may have a couple of short boxes I can just throw you away next time you come over here. And the, the thing is, you know, to to replace all the boxes is going to cost a ton of money too. Yeah. Well, like I said, I may have a few extras that I could at least give you to start to start you off. <laughs> First taste you're is a, free. Is you're an enabler. I am an enabler. <laughs> so you know, but if I'm going to go down, I want to bring you with me. We'll all go down together. Back to the bin.
Hello, everybody, and welcome to Back to the Bins. I'm Paul Spitaro, and he is David Pascarella. Yes, it is I. And I actually brought a book this week. Holy cow. You are not, you, you are in, at, at risk of becoming bookless Dave. Trademark Dr. Bill. Yes. I, 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 I don't know why I got a big kick out of when we were texting and I said, uh, Dr. Bill, where have you gone? Uh, a nation turns its lonely eye to you. And I felt like saying, what's that you say, Mr. Robinson? Jolton Bill has left and gone away. <laughs> anyway, uh, so today we are going for essentially a traditional episode. But Dave once again texted me and said, oh, I'm going to do this book. It's my first one of this series. Uh, and then, you know what, I'm not going to even try and hide it because this guy put the artwork up anyway. So it's, it was the first issue that Dave bought of Green Lantern. So I thought, okay, who's a good counterpart to Green Lantern, I, you know, on, on the Marvel side? And I guess the closest counterpart they have when they've done things is Iron Man. And to take that a step further, I went with an Iron Man issue where he's fighting Dr. Spectrum, who is a takeoff of Green Lantern. See, now, I saw the year of that book, and I was curious, was this your first Iron Man book? It is close in time to my first Iron Man book, but my first one was a few months after this. I had acquired this book because the brother who was just older than me had this one and one other, I believe, when I started collecting. And when I started collecting was just about when he had enough and couldn't be bothered with comics anymore. So I ended up taking over the whatever, 15 to 20 books he had and putting them into my collection. So that's where I got this one. Ah. So, so you only inherited like 15 to 20 books? From my brother, yeah. Oh, so he really wasn't very dedicated to the collecting. No, my brother was never a collector. He just had some comics. Oh. And then, uh, but, but to take that story a little further, one of my mom's friends who lived about three blocks from us uh, had an older son who was probably about five years older than me. And she was, her, my mom's friend was over and two of them were having a cup of coffee and talking. And I came in the house and she said, oh, by the way, I don't even remember her son's name, but she said, you know, he has some comic books he doesn't want anymore. Would you like them? And I said, absolutely. So I had to walk over to the house and go pick him up. And in that collection, there were a bunch of issues of Spider-Man in the 70s. And I don't mean the 1970s. I mean the 70s of the the run. Uh, there were some Fantastic Four issues in the 90s. There were some Avengers issues in the 60s. Uh, so it gave me a, a nice, you know, probably about 40 books altogether. And, you know, it gave me a nice, solid collection of some older uh, books. You know, they were probably all about, I don't know, seven or eight years old by that time. Uh, so, and that, that was, you know, for Spider-Man, it was the tablet saga with Silvermane. Like it was all those issues. Uh, again, there was the issues in the nineties of the Fantastic Four. So there was the issue that was like a piece of, a piece of the action from Star Trek. Oh, God. Uh, and there, you know, they had a couple of books like that. The Avengers had, uh, the introduction of Admantium and, uh, some Ultron stuff and the, uh, the introduction of the squadron, squadron Supreme, I guess it was at that time. Uh, and you know, so there were, there were a lot of, a lot of good things in there. So it, it really just, if, if I wasn't already cemented in as a collector, that certainly pushed me even further into it. And he had just aged out of comic books and didn't exactly. want 
Exactly. Uh, did he know you were getting them, or did his mom just? <laughs> you know, I, I never did find that out. Because <laughs> when I went to pick them up, she was there, and she just gave me the you know the small box full of them. Uh, and I never spoke to him to find out if he was upset that she gave them away. <laughs> so, and then pretty much they're all still in my collection now. So, uh, and what did you do with all the Hustler magazines that were stuck in between the comic books? If only at, at that point, I was probably say 12 years old. Those would have been very, very, very welcome in my collection. <laughs> so, so. That, See, I never is, lucked out. I never had anybody passing down. That yeah, that's the only like collection, if you can call it a collection, that I've ever uh, been gifted that way. A couple of not too long ago, a couple of years back, uh, somebody one like a friend of a friend gave my friend like a box of comics that for some reason they didn't want, and then he came by my house and he was like, you know, do you want any of these? And it was, you know, it was a, it was probably, it was either two short boxes or one long box full of comics. And with all of that, there were probably only about a dozen books that I was interested in having, and none of them were, you know, big, big time. Most of the, most of the books in the box were like within the last 15 years, which is not really a time that I'm collecting. So you didn't even get like a dazzling number one? No, nothing of that high quality. Oh, that's. I don't know if you know this. I have a copy of Dazzler number one. You know why you have a copy of Dazzler number one? Why would that be? Because it had nowhere else to go. <laughs> Insert soundbite here. I got nowhere else to go! I got nowhere else to go! I got nothing else. I guess, you know, we could get right into our books. Would you like to go first or second today? I will go first. If you don't mind, I'll go first since I didn't. If I minded, if I minded, I wouldn't have asked you. You could have just been polite, you know. When when have you ever known me to do that? I don't know. I don't know. I'm trying to give listeners an illusion. Okay, well, that's buried the league. I brought to the table tonight from, uh, I guess it's volume two of Green Lantern. The, I believe uh, it's volume one, actually. I don't think they, I think they continued the numbering from volume one. I hate to contradict you, my friend, but you are incorrect, sir. It is possible that I'm incorrect. It's unlikely. I know it's very rare, but no. No, you're right. The, the, the At least the uh, DC database page says it's volume two. Yes. Believe me, I I know a little, little bit about Green Lantern. I'm sure you do, but I'm not sure you know more more about anything than I do. I can't possibly know as much as you. You're a know-it-all. I am a know-it-all. And the reason for that is because I know it all. Know that. But when you're as old as Methuselah, you know. <clears throat> Should we do this? Well, I'm just, I'm just looking to... Uh, the yeah, show? It looks like there was there was Green Lantern starting in 1941. The original Correct. series started, and then the first issue of Volume Two was in was cover dated August of 1960. 
It is, it's a number one, right? It is a number one. But now he debuted in like Showcase or something like that, right? I believe he did. Did you know it all? To see. Well, I would have to. You know what? I know. I know. I know enough to say when I don't know. So now I'm looking to showcase. And it may be something else, but I I I want to think it's. Let's see if we can look it up on this Google machine that I have here. The Google. The Google machine. And Green Lantern, Hal Jordan, open up his page. And let's see if it says where he was in first appearance. Uh, Real name, Hal Jordan, other aliases, relatives, affiliation, base of operation. First appearance, showcase number 22. Yeah, so it was like the Flash, right? Spun. I think they did three issues or something like that, similar to like what they did with the Flash. Because mm-hmm. I had bought all those DC archive editions. Right. I did Way not back. buy all of them, but I have a couple of them. I'm kind of sorry they didn't finish that out. You know, they got fairly deep into it. I think seven volumes or something. You know, at that point, I wish you would have finished the damn thing. Yeah, it would make sense. I have, uh, I have, or actually, I'm looking at not archives, I'm looking at Chronicle editions. I have Batman Batman Volume 1 and Superman Volume 1. Well, it's like I find it irritating. I've been buying these Golden Age uh, omnibuses, you know, Superman. Mm hmm. I forget what it's up to, seven or eight, something like that. They're into the 1950s, and I see the next book that's coming out, The Silver Age, Volume 1. But it's there's still a gap of stuff they haven't finished off. That's got to be annoying. It is. For, for me, it's very annoying. Why would you not finish it off and then move on? I, I well, the only thing I can think of is that they thought the sales would be better with doing it that way. Let's issue a new number one and reboot everything, so to speak. Well, should I go into Green Lantern? Sure, you go. All right, I bring to the table the first issue of Green Lantern that I bought off the stands in about October, according to the on-sale date, October of 1983. I bought this on 20th Avenue and uh, 75th Street across from St. Dominic's Church in Candy and Cards store that was there right off the spinner rack. Now, I know that store. I knew you'd know it. That's why I said it. Well, just before I lived in Marine Park, Brooklyn, when I was very, very young, I mean, I think I was not quite four when we moved away. I lived on 75th Street and between 18th and 19th Avenue. So wait, now, and, where did you and, go to grammar school? Well, I went to grammar school in Marine Park. I left that area oh. when I was not quite four years old. But uh, my family still had, I still had relatives living in that house. That's why my cousin still lived there. And we used to go to the comic store on 86th Street. So I, I know that area, you know, very well from growing up. I was there a lot. And I've been in the store that you're talking about. And I've been in St. Dominic's Church. You know, my cousin went to St. Dominic's, but he would be older than you. So you wouldn't, you wouldn't have known him. 
Well, that was the thing. You went to church on Sunday, then you went across the street. Maybe if you maybe you got a candy bar and you got a comic book. So, well, as I was saying, this is uh, Green Lantern number one seventy two from January of nineteen eighty four. Non sale date of October twentieth, nineteen eighty three. A whopping three quarters cover price, seventy five cents. The writer was Len Wein, the artist David Gibbons, colorist Anthony Tallinn, and the editor Len Wein. The title of our story is Judgment Day. With his year-long exile over, Green Lantern Hal Jordan is on his way to Oa for judgment by the Guardians of the Universe. For a year, he has been exiled from Earth and mandated to patrol his sector of space from space. After a brief diversion to save a planet from a media shower, Hal arrives on Oa. There he is warmly greeted by his peers, except for Salak, who is a dick. Sometimes you just can't judge a book by its cover. Hal goes before his peers in the Green Lantern Corps and the Guardians of the Universe to plead for a chance to return home to Earth. At first, the Guardians are reluctant to grant his request until they ask him if he is willing to sacrifice his status as Green Lantern to return to Earth. In response, Hal claims that he'll be a Green Lantern until his last breath or until issue 181. <laughs> Spoiler. And asks his masters not to force him to give away his humanity, as they did centuries ago. After a moment of silence, the Guardians allow him to end his exile. Hal bids farewell to his fellow Green Lanterns and heads straight to Earth, specifically to Los Angeles's branch a Ferris aircraft, planning to surprise Carol, that would be his girlfriend, Hal sneaks into her office, but gets a surprise of his own when he sees Carol apparently kissing another man. Disappointment is an understatement to what Hal feels now, and he takes off to vent his frustrations with the first crook he can find. In a short time, he find a, finds a hostage situation and literally beats the daylights out of the perpetrators. Forget the ring. He's just going to knock the hell out of them. The police thank him, but Green Lantern claims that he won't be around for very long. Hal returns to Ferris Aircraft and starts packing his stuff, deciding to get out of town. Suddenly, Carol walks in and asks him why he didn't visit her. Hal explains that he saw her with another man, and she says that it was a misunderstanding. That the man is Clay Kendall, a new employee at Ferris, and she was only congratulating him for his work. Well, I've been working for over 35 years myself, and I've had many bosses, even some that look like Carol Ferris. No matter how great the job I did, I never got a thank you like that. Well, with the situation clarified, the two reunite after a long separation. 
And that's the story of Green Lantern 172. So you're saying, you're saying that after a long separation, he banged her? I, I guess, you know, they chose to omit that page. That would have made they had to put a backup story in. So I guess we missed out on that one. <clears throat> that was in those stack of hustlers you didn't get. <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking that's right. <clears throat> so what did you think of that? You know, I, I don't think I ever read this one before. And I'm going to say something that I think people are going to say is sacrilege. Go ahead. Do it. I like this Dave Gibbons art more than I liked his art in Watchmen. I think people rave about the art in Watchmen. And I, but I think what they do is so I'm going to qualify my opinion here. I think what they do is that they look at the layouts and the way it's kind of integrated into the story, almost the way you'd look at a, uh, you know, an, an auteur filmmaker's uh, choice of, of uh, you know, camera angles and, you know, trying to put extra information in based upon that kind of thing. Uh, and I think they look at that and they give it credit for being great art, which in that respect, I guess it is. But this art in this book is, I think it's it's well rendered. I think it's more reader friendly. Uh, so I kind of I kind of like this art better. I, I think this is pretty solid as far as the artwork goes. And I think the layouts are really good. I think the storytelling is really good. I think it's dynamic at parts. And I, again, I think the individual characters are better drawn than they are in Watchmen. So I'm I was very high on the artwork. The story itself was interesting because I think this would have been an interesting story to see more decompressed to see him go through some sort of like trials or something like that in order to be released from his responsibilities as a green light, you know, as, as a, from his exile responsibilities. Right. Right. You know, I think that would have been kind of cool to see. And I think you could have made it over like a, you know, like a six issue story arc to have him kind of earn the right to go back to well, earth. I think it literally was a year that the comics were not on earth. No, I, I get that. I, oh, okay. And I get that, I get that just from the story itself, that he was exiled for a year. But I'm talking about his uh, tribunal that he's before in order to get permission to end his, his right. uh, exile. I think it would have been kind of cool to see them kind of put him through a series of, of tests in order to show that he's worthy to... I don't even know why exactly he was exiled. So I'm probably speaking, you know, a little unfairly here. But this came in an era where things occurred more quickly. And I think that's what happened here. But I would have liked to have seen it if they had taken their time and made him earn the right to leave, not just give his heartfelt speech about how he'll always be a Green Lantern no matter what. So Until, until issue 181. Yeah. Was it nine books from that? Was the yeah nine books from that when he quits? But that's you know that's that's the uh, like I said you know there there are times where I really get on the decompressed storytelling where I feel like it's you know it, it's it's empty you know you read it you're done in five minutes and you don't really feel like anything really got accomplished. I think this type of story is ripe for them to have added enough to keep going. And not have it feel empty to have each episode be a little bit of a standalone story with a different one of like the trials that he has to go through to kind of ultimately get to where he needs to be. 
Right. And I think that I think that would have been very cool. I think that could have been a, a really solid story arc. So I think this is good. Don't get me wrong. But I just think it had. It could have used a little bit more meat on the bones. Right. Well, I know for me, this being my introduction, I guess I had seen Green Lantern in the uh, the Justice, Justice League comics and the, or the Super uh, Friends. Super Friends. But this was the first book I ever bought, and uh, I prefer the characters to be on Earth. So for me, this was like a perfect jumping on time. And I bought a good number of these through uh, his quitting. And, and the funny thing is, most of these are all, you know, one, sh- you know, one shot, you know, self-contained stories. Though they do go into a bit of like. Uh, a background story arc that's going to cross over several books. However, in the run, there was one two-parter, and I never got the second issue. Still to this day? Oh, I have it now. Oh, but okay. back then it was like, well, what the hell happened? And it was one of those where I could just never find that issue anywhere. Went to Caesars Bay, couldn't get it. Joe Herbs didn't have it. Mm, that's fr- that was very frustrating back in the day. I think See, I wound I, up getting it online. That's how many years it took to get this book. I can relate to your thought process at, I guess at this point you're like 12, 13 years old, uh, that at that age I preferred the stories to be earthbound as well. But And, and that, that was being more of a Marvel reader. That would be like in Thor. You know, the stories that took place on Earth as opposed to in Asgard. Uh, I, even, I read a bunch of those. I'm with you. I, could, I couldn't, even to this day, those early Asgard stories. Well, it, 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 they go back and forth for me. I mean, you know, once we got to the point where, and I don't really want to make this too much focused on Thor, but when I got older, I could appreciate the mythology stories much more. That's, that's what Walt Simonson was so cool because he brought a lot of the mythology in but when they would talk when they had the Asgard stories when they got to the point where it stopped being journey of into mystery and it started to be Thor uh you know the first story arc on that was a, a clash between uh, him and Hercules uh which then eventually turned into a battle with Pluto and the hordes of Hades uh and looking back on that I really have a great fondness for that story but at 12 years old not quite as much uh, I think, in fact, I think that story may have been on in a Marvel, uh, the the uh, Marvel's comics, the Marvel superheroes cartoons. I think that right. may have been one of the ones that they actually adapted into that. <clears throat> but you know, even like uh, you know, some of the more space stories, the space opera stories, I think were meant for a slightly older audience. Like I truly became began to appreciate. Jim Starlin's space epics a lot more as a, you know, as a late teenager than as a young teenager. Mm-hmm. So I, I think there is an element of the audience. So I think even the Green Lantern stories, the ones that take place off of Earth, except for the ones that are incredibly silver agey and silly. Uh, but I think they are meant for a, a an older audience. So I could see where at 12 or 13, you would definitely be inclined to say, great, he's coming back to Earth. Well, see, I didn't even know he had been off Earth. So it all just worked out. But I remember coming into this and one of the uh, differences with Green Lantern was Carol Ferris knows who he is. 
as opposed to, you know, Lois Lane or Vicki Vale. And as a kid, I found that interesting. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And, and, and I mean, that's become more the norm of late. Right. You know, the secret identities are becoming a, a little passe for the most part. Uh, and, and it makes sense, too. you got to stay modern with the times, too, with the way uh, surveillance cameras and satellites and everything exists now. It, it would probably be virtually impossible to maintain a, a secret identity if you were as public as some of these superheroes are. You know, if you were doing Unless everything behind glass. the scenes, if you were doing everything behind the scenes and they couldn't follow you. You know what? Clark Kent or Superman, Kal-El, is probably the one person the, or one of the few superheroes who could... Uh, elude that because when he wants to change from superman to clark kent he could you know use his super speed to somehow get away from the satellites and the cameras and whatever so that they you know that they would be unable to follow him right right but back to this one uh overall i enjoyed the story i thought it was well done uh like i said i just felt like it could it could have stretched out more i would i would have liked to i i think they uh you know, you see the seeds of the Guardians being like real dicks. Uh, and, and I kind of like that aspect of it, that they're not just this, you know, beneficent group that's out to help the world so much as they're, you know, there's a little bit of egomania running in them. They're, and they're I like petty. that. They're yeah. very petty. So that, that's that's pretty cool. And, I, you know, I, I like Len Wein's writing in general. So the, only, the one thing I don't like uh, and I didn't see anything in this that I could point to, but I, I don't like when one of the major creators, the writer or the artist, is also the editor. I, I like to have another set of eyes looking over before it goes out. I think but overall, I, I, I like this book. I definitely liked it. It was nice to revisit this after all these years. I, I, I enjoyed it. Want to read it? Yeah, let's do that. Um, I like the cover. You get a nice view of uh, all the, you know, there's a group of different Green Lanterns, like completely alien, standing behind Hal as he's before the Guardians. And it gives you a nice little taste, if you're not familiar with the characters, of what the core as a whole looks like. You have the three three of the Guardians looking down at him and Hal basically uh, pleading on the cover. I think it's an effective cover. It, it, it transmits the uh, story pretty accurately overall. I think it's well drawn. The coloring's nice. Uh, I'm going to give it a, a, a B, a solid B. The uh, interior art, I like. The, the only thing that I'm not so keen on the interior art, and it's going to sound stupid, is uh, to me, Hal Jordan's hair is off. It seems like it's a little too, too long, but I'm guessing we're coming out of the 70s where longer hair was the thing at the time. I'm looking. So, I'm looking at the close-up on page seven. It looks like he he hadn't washed his hair that day. Right, but it's really like a quaff that's a little overdone. But other was the that, style of the day. Yeah, and I, you know, I went back looking through this that uh, scene where he sees Carol kissing the guy. If you really look at the artwork going back, I guess you could see how it's a more maybe a fraternal thing by the expression on his face. But 
The overall art, I think, is very good. I'm going to give it a solid B+. And the story, uh, I think you're right. It could have been a little longer, but I still think it's a solid story. And uh, I would give it a B. So for an overall average of a, a B. All right. I, uh, I really like the cover as well. I, I, it looks to me like they've kind of manipulated the title of Green Lantern, where they lowered it a little bit. Mm-hmm. In yes. order to allow you to have the uh, the gallery behind him, uh, and and I think that's very effective. I think that that really adds to the overall look of the cover. Uh, in addition, I, I like the whole perspective of the uh, the guardians closest to us, Hal pleading his case, and then the 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 gallery behind him. Um, I could have done without the, the words "Judgment Day" by Len Wein and Dave Gibbons on the cover. It didn't need that. But that's that's a judgment call by editorial, I would believe, not so much an, an artistic choice. So I'm not going to take anything away for that. Uh, and I think I think you're right. I think this is a B to almost a B plus. I think it's a very solid cover. The interior art, like I said, I, I I'm pretty high on the interior art. I'm going to say an A minus. I'm not a huge Dave Gibbons fan, but I think he was very good. Uh, and I think, you know, again, I, I thought I, I like the artwork in this book more than I like the artwork in Watchmen. And, you know, send send your uh, complaints about that to uh, Bill Robinson at <laughs> Dr. Dr. Bill Robinson. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to say an A minus on the interior art and the story. I'm, I'm also going to blame editorial for the fact that it's kind of feels a little bit rushed that I think could have been drawn out a little bit more. Uh, I don't think I don't think they would have given Ween six issues to do this. So for that reason, I'm going to say I'm not going to hold that against him. I'm going to rate it based upon the actual execution of the story that he did do, as opposed to the story that I wanted him to do. And And I think it was very good. So I'm going to say a B on that as well. And I'm going to give the book overall a B plus. So I'm going to give it just the slightest bit higher than you did. That's right. Same Paul part. Oh yeah. So now I'm going to, I brought Iron Man number 63 for my book and I'll give you an interesting tidbit on that. Uh, I thought I have I have an, actually an Iron Man book. It's called it's from the official index of the Marvel Universe, which was is actually just from the uh, the individual issues. It's just a uh, you know a collection of them, and it's for Iron Man. And I think I bought it at, at a con one time for like five bucks or something. But it's got an issue by issue breakdown of the books. I think Bill uses his Avengers one uh, for Avengers Spotlights to give his synopsis. So I said, no, oh, let me let me look at this. And see what the synopsis is for Iron Man number 63, as opposed to the Marvel wiki page. And you know what's kind of interesting? It's It's the the same same synopsis. (laughs) But I guess they are both in their own way published by Marvel. So I didn't didn't prepare or pre-prepare a synopsis. So I'm going to do this one off the cuff. Uh, as opposed to reading it, and the read the the written one isn't so bad, but I'm trying to to take our friend Scott's uh, criticism to heart and not do as much reading. So anyway, this had a release date of July 3rd, 1973. The cover date is October of 73. 
Uh, it's got a cover by Gil Kane and Mike Esposito. And I'm gonna, I'm not gonna bury the lead. I love the cover on this book. I just think it's so cool. And it's, it's almost one of Gil Kane's stock poses. It's, it's, a, you know, one that, that's not out of the ordinary for him. But it has Iron Man on the ground, not, I guess knocked out or knocked down certainly, uh, by Doctor Spectrum, who's standing over him and using his his spectrum and says, "Your armor won't save you, Avenger. First you, then all the Earth must fall before the unmatched might of Doctor Spectrum." And it says, "Pawn of the Power Prism." Now this is one part in a multi-part story that I have not read in years, so I can't really give you too much of it because I was kind of condensing it in my mind and my memory actually was not as faithful to this book as it should have been. Uh, but we open up with Iron Man uh, in uh, Detroit where he's hovering over an emergency room and there's a girl who's about to get hit by some falling debris. Uh, so he saves her. It turns out that she's uh Roxy Gilbert, who he was actually heading there to meet, he saves her. And then there's a uh, photographer who's taken all sorts of pictures of, of him doing so. And uh, then he, he has a, a, a like a, a mini little press conference where he says where he poses for some pictures and he says he's going to escort her home. And she's very dismissive of him and says, you know, that he's looking for glory and she doesn't want to deal with it. So she walks away. He runs off and quickly changes from Iron Man into Tony Stark in his cool purple outfit. Uh, and there's one one shot that's kind of cool where it shows him just in between the Iron Man armor and the uh, Tony Stark look. It looks like he's reaching down with his hand and taking off his armor boot uh, while, while he's running in the street. <laughs> so it's kind where, of weird. Where does he put all this stuff? Yeah, I, I, well, I think he would carry a briefcase with it in it. Oh, okay. So like the movie. Yeah, at least in the early movies. Uh, so then he calls a taxi, and then he he approaches uh, Roxy, and he gets her to share a cab, and he goes back to her house. But she's kind of standoffish from him as well, uh, until the photographer who was taking pictures shows up at her. I don't know. I don't think it's her apartment. I think it's a hotel room actually. Yeah. But anyway, he he shows up there, and he starts talking about how he's gonna. Post the pictures and you know, not post them, put them in, you know, for the newspaper. And Tony Stark reminds him that he actually owns the news, the company that owns the newspaper. Uh, so, you know, he tosses the guy out, which actually gets her, gets her to not be quite as uh, cold to him. Then he goes back to Stark Industries where Pepper Potts is there. And she's kind of upset because at this point in the story, she's married to Happy Hogan. And he leaves her or he has left her uh, while they're commiserating and having a little soap opera moment. Uh, a doctor. Uh, what's his name now? Dr. Obatu uh, is coming to meet with Tony Stark. And then some guys come out of nowhere to attack. Uh, and Dr. Obatu, who is tougher than he looks on the outside, and Eddie March, who's one of Tony's uh confidants who I believe actually wore the armor to help him at some point uh, and became the freak. If you're familiar with that storyline. Anyway, uh, the two of them fight off these, these guys and 
then they walk off and he's Dr. Robachu is very impressed with what Eddie March did from Eddie March is, uh, by the way, a retired boxer. So from that point, we cut to Dr. Spectrum, who is kind of being bossed around by the power prism. And he attacks Tony Stark and Stark manages just to escape and get into his Iron Man armor, where he then confronts Dr. Spectrum again, and they battle. And after after an extend, extended battle, uh, Spectrum knocks down, basically knocks down a building on him, and then leaves. Tony then goes back to uh, Stark Enterprises, where he meets up with Pepper Potts again, and he's consoling her, and he gives her a big kiss on the lips, when Happy Hogan comes walking in and says, my best friend is in love with my wife, which he probably should have known from the start, because if you read any of Stanley's early Iron Man books, there was a love triangle with the three of them the whole time. So that's the story. And I still think I, I have to agree with Scott. It's probably better than reading the synopsis off the Internet. But anyway, uh, again, I hadn't read this in years. First of all, I love the cover. This is, as I as I can recall, I think this is not the Doctor Spectrum that we've been used to in other stories. I think Doctor Obatu is actually Doctor Spectrum, if I remember right. Mm. And uh, I think he came across the the Power Prism in some coincidental manner. I don't think, again, I don't think he was the Doctor Spectrum that we knew before this. Uh, came out and again i kind of thought this was a one issue thing but now i'm looking at it and unlike the green lantern one i think this one goes on for about three or four more issues uh so so we only got a part of the story here uh i kind of like the story i felt like i got pulled right into it even though i didn't remember a lot of the details but as has been my want uh i don't like george tusk's art i just don't uh, I, I hate his faces. I think he does a bad job with it. And I like Mike Esposito in general, but I don't think Mike Esposito brings up, you know, lesser art uh, than, you know, I don't, I don't think he can do that. I don't think he could take lesser art and bring it up. The funny thing is I think Tuska does a decent job with the layouts. Uh, and, and there's some panel, you know, some creative panel work that I think is kind of cool. Uh, where, where he's tilting some, he's putting some inside of others, things like that. And I think it's well done. I think the storytelling isn't bad. It's really just the faces that bother me. And he needs a better anchor than Mike Esposito. Again, Mike Esposito is fine for a detailed artist. But for somebody like Tusca, he needs somebody who's going to clean it up a lot. And and Mike Esposito or, or uh, what's his name, Vince, uh, Scott's favorite, uh, is... is you know, a guy like that's not going to bring it up a level. You need somebody who, who's going to, you know, and I hate to always go to him, but I would like to see this artwork inked by Klaus Janssen because yeah. I think it would be a lot more moody and I think the faces would be cleaned up a lot and I think it probably would have been a very good artwork book if, if he had done it. But unfortunately, that was not to be. Uh, I had reached out to Luke Giaconetti this afternoon just to see if he was available, because Luke is a huge Iron Man fan. And he and I have debated George Tusker before, because Luke likes George, 
George Tusca, which I, I, we debate him, but I would never question anybody else's taste. You like him, that's fine. You know, you know you're welcome to like him. Uh, but I was hoping Luke might be available tonight to to talk about this issue. And it's funny, you know, I, I just said to him, uh, yeah, talking about Iron Man 63 tonight, and his response immediately was, oh, Iron Man against Dr. Spectrum. So he knew exactly which issue I was talking about right away, which is kind of cool. And it would have been great to get his opinion on it. But, you know, unfortunately, he, he wasn't. He, it turned out he was not available at the last minute. Uh, but I would like to have gotten his take on this artwork. What do you think? There's one panel here I particularly love on page 17. Take a look at this. Iron Man is fighting Dr. Spectrum. He goes crashing into a car. The car explodes and he's laying on the wreckage of the car. And just look at the people in the background. <laughs> They're like watching. They look very like casual. Three guys standing there with their hands in their <laughs> Like they're waiting for the bus to pull up. You know, you would think if you just saw this thing crash in front of you, you'd have your arms up or reacting in some more excited fashion. This, they're just like standing there. Oh, gee, I hope the bus isn't late. <laughs> yeah, they do look a little too calm, I have to say. And I, I don't know who to blame that on. I don't know if he could have position them a little better to make them look like they were in more of a, uh, you know, an, an intense pose, like they were trying to get away from it. Uh, or if it's the, again, if it's the inking and somebody else might've just made them look a little bit more, you know, apprehensive about what was going on around them. Yeah. And this, this reporter, is he like supposed to be the Dick version of Peter Parker? Breaking into someone's hotel room and come on. Very possibly. And if you if you go to the, the page, uh, page seven, uh, the second panel where it's kind of a close up of him, the way his face is, that's kind of your typical George Tusker face. No. Yeah. I, and I. I just don't I just don't like it. <laughs> I like the story. Well, the story's good. I thought uh, the story actually, was very find, engaging. Other than those minor like tweaks i'm going to call them i think the art's actually decent i have a level of george tusker uh aversion uh so so I, I might give i might be giving him automatically a bad rap from the start See, I, I, I try to be fair but i may not be what caught me off guard was the the, the stash that tony's rocking i seem to remember him having more of a pencil than pencil mustache well i think in the 60s he had the pencil mustache right. i never got like into a, the 70s. like a howard hughes looking thing uh, I was in, yeah like clark gable yes uh but in the 70s i think he went more for the uh the, kind of the, the porn stash yeah with a purple suit he must shop at the same place david bannon shops at <laughs> david bruce banner yes yes you're too used to the TV show. I know. I, I fouled up. <laughs> Dr. Spectrum reminds me of Crazy Quilt to some extent. I think Dr. Spectrum's got a lot more potential than uh, Crazy Quilt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so again, exactly I, I, thought, is... I thought it was interesting. I thought it was interesting that he's kind of being forced around by the Spectrum. So it's the stone is like possessing him? That's that's the way I'm I'm reading this. It's almost like venom at some point, huh? Yeah, there, there's I guess there's a similarity there. Uh, 
you know, if you if you look if you go to like page fifteen and you see there's the black uh, voice bubbles, which are like, or even fourteen, where where the the prism is actually uh, you know bossing him around. Right, and the reverse, the bubbles are black and the text is white. Right. I, I having read this for the first time in many years, uh, I'm inclined to. Uh, to read the follow-up issues to see how this was resolved, because I don't really remember. Maybe that's something we should do. Carry on, you know. Space it out, maybe do the next issue. Yeah, we can do that. Gonna go. yeah, we'll wait a, a couple of weeks, and then right. we'll do the next one. We're next next time we're looking for a book to do, and we're, we're coming up empty, we'll do the next one. Yeah, I'm glad you picked this. I really enjoy, enjoyed this. I would say uh, Iron Man is my second favorite Marvel character. Who's so, your first? Take a guess. Spider-Man? No. Captain America. Oh, that's how dumb of me. <laughs> when uh, back in the day in the in the you know the mid to late seventies, uh the three series that I had latched onto that I was trying to do my best to complete uh with with various varied levels of, of success were Captain America, Spider-Man, and the X-Men. Even though the X-Men were in reprints when I first started buying it. Uh, but for whatever reason, those those three were the ones that had really caught my eye. Uh, to, to a slightly lesser extent, the Fantastic Four and the, and the Avengers were there as well. But those were the three that I was really trying to, to, to collect. And uh, of late, I am now one issue away from completing uh, my run of Captain America that I'm interested in getting. Because as I've talked about many times, I have put an end cap on what I'm looking to collect. So for Captain America, I was looking to get from issue 100, which is the first issue of the series, to issue 350. That's where I decided to just say, you know, that's that's as far as I'm going. So was uh, that 100 when they brought him back like was it 99 issues in the original from the 40s or no no he uh when when he was resurrected in the avengers uh after a little while they they started giving him his own issue his own series in tales of suspense which he shared with iron man so uh i don't remember which was the first one because iron iron man started i believe in issue 39 uh, and then Captain America joined in maybe in the late 50s or somewhere around there um, and then continued on through issue 99 and then issue 100 became Captain America. Who else was in Tales to, of Suspense originally? Was it was a giant man or something? No, that's Tales to Astonish, which started off as Ant-Man, then it turned into Giant Man, then it turned into half Giant Man and half the Hulk. Right, right. And then they got rid of Giant Man and Submariner took over the other half. And that went to issue 101. And issue 102 was the first issue of the Hulk after, you know, if if you don't count the six-issue original series that he had. Right. And then Submariner was given his own issue, own series starting with issue number one. And the uh, Iron Man was given his own issue, his own series started with number one. They had a lot of shared books for a while. Well, they also had tales, uh, strange tales, which uh, originally started off as a human torch vehicle, 
Then it became Human Torch and the Thing. Then it became a split book with Human Torch and the Thing in one half and Doctor Strange in the other half. Then eventually they took out uh, Human Torch and the Thing and replaced that with Nick Fury. And then there was the point when they were able to publish more books, so they didn't have to do the split books anymore. Uh, and I'm trying to remember, Captain America, Iron Man, Hulk, Submariner, Captain Marvel, Nick Fury, Doctor Strange, uh, Silver Surfer, all within a certain amount of time of each other, all got their own series. And with, of the series I just mentioned, the only one I think that I don't have the first issue of is Silver Surfer, which I did own at one time, and I have no idea why I don't own it anymore. And it's probably priced out of my range at this point. Which probably just, some of those house guests, those house guests you had for Eternal Car. Probably they're probably all just rolling around in my old comics. <laughs> I, I have no idea what, you know, I mean, I've moved three times. I, I don't know. It's possible that uh, any, anything could have happened. So I, I can't I can't pinpoint any any one moment where I stopped having certain books that I had. That did happen. I mean, there were books that I had that I don't know why I don't have anymore or that I've replaced over the years. Uh, but I could never tell you when I think they that they stopped being in my collection. <laughs> I, you know, I would say stuck behind something i don't think so and to be fair i don't believe it was when they were over for eternal time <laughs> because i think uh by then uh, i had a good handle on what i had but uh there were you know there were years where where when my books were stored and and i wasn't really actively doing anything with them and who knows if something was lost or taken away or whatever but you can't live in the past so let's rate this book. I love this cover. I think this cover is dynamic. I think it's really well done. I think it is. I look at it and I think, oh, I want this issue, even though I already have it. Uh, I'm going to give this cover an A. I think it's almost iconic, uh, which, you know, almost an A plus because I just really love it. The interior art, uh, I think I've made my point on the interior art, uh, but I'm going to say the storytelling is pretty good. So Based upon that, and, and the like I said, the panel layouts and all of that, I think are pretty good. It's just the final renditions that I'm not crazy about. So I'm going to say a C plus, which I think is about as, probably as high as I'd ever go with George Tuska. Uh, and the story, I really like the story. I'm going to say this is an A story because it, it totally pulled me in and, and it made me want to read more. So I'm going to give the book a solid B plus. I'm gonna I'm gonna agree with you on the cover and the story. As for the interior art, I, I kinda like it. I mean, aside from, you know, those minor, you know, bits I pointed out with the crowd and uh the oh look on the photographer. <laughs> I mean, that, is, how, that is exactly the look on the Right? Photographer. I mean, how else would you describe it? I think that's a perfect description. <clears throat> You know, it's classic 70s, this whole thing. I'm going to give the uh, the interior art a, a B, which is going to bring this to uh, overall, uh, I'm going to say an A- minus for the book. I'm glad you brought this. I enjoyed it. Like I said, I think we need to cover maybe the next issue down the line. Well, I, th- I think that speaks volumes to me because I know that, you know, at heart you're mainly a DC guy. So for you to read this, 
cold, just coming in, coming into it and saying, I want to read more. I think that that says a lot about what you thought about it. You made a great choice. So I'd be interested in knowing what our listeners think about it. If any of you would like to let us know, please reach out and yes. I used to say send us an email, but that's probably foolish because I don't remember the last time I checked our inbox. I'm sorry for anybody who has written to us. Your best way to reach us is probably on the Facebook page. So if you're not a member of the Facebook group, I would suggest that you join up. Now, when you join up, there will be, I believe, two questions that you have to answer. If you don't answer them, I will not let you in the group. Not because I really, really need to know your answers to these questions, but because we just want to make sure we're not getting, you know, some sort of bot signing up. And this way we end up getting spammed with a bunch of stupidity. Uh, we want real, you know, real people who actually listen to the show or and who want to participate in comics, uh, comics talk in general. Uh, I think it's a pretty cool page. You know, a lot of us will put, you know, books that we've recently read or books that we've recently acquired. And, it, you know, it starts some conversations going some. I'm really inclined to invite everybody who's interested, who is not already a member of the page to join. And when you do join, please participate. Let us know what you think about stuff. Uh, also, I always would ask for you know positive reviews on whatever site you uh, download us from because that gets us more listeners. And I don't get a dime no matter how many listeners we have, but the more we have, the more I feel like we're actually accomplishing something. So, you know, come on. Come on out there and, and give us a rating if you haven't done already. And I hope you like us enough to give us a high rating. In the meanwhile, we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we hope you'll continue to join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic book back-issue awesomeness. You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at bins at twotruefreaks.com or by joining the Back to the Bins group on Facebook. Back to the Bins is a proud affiliate of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is a registered trademark of Demanzo Corps of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Please take a moment to stop by the twotruefreaks.com site and check out their many other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week.